Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. I'm Brandon Ward. And I'm Ron Locke. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Today we are joined by a very special guest, Dr. Andy Davis. Andy Davis serves as the senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Durham, North Carolina. He is also a visiting professor here at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. In addition to preaching and teaching, Andy has offered numerous books, including Revitalize, Biblical Keys to Helping Your Church Come Alive Again, and one of the volumes in the Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary Series, Exalting Jesus and Isaiah. Brother, we're so thankful for you joining us today. Well, it's a delight to be with you. I'm looking forward to our conversation. We have been talking a lot about spiritual formation uh, lately, and I'm just curious, who are some of the pastors who have contributed to your own spiritual formation, and what are some characteristics about them that were so formative for you? I came to faith in Christ my junior year at MIT. I was raised uh, in, a, in a good Roman Catholic home and, and learned the basic facts of the gospel accurately of, of Jesus, of the Trinity, but not of how sins are forgiven. I didn't learn the gospel, but I learned the facts of Christ's life, and I had a good experience in the Catholic Church, but I wasn't born again. And then when I came to faith in Christ, um, it was through the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ and a... Uh, uh, fraternity brother, and so I got drawn into, I think, you know, a really fruitful discipleship relationship with a man named Tim Schumann, who taught me personal spiritual disciplines. You talk about spiritual formation, so the need for a quiet time, evangelism, personal evangelism, caring about missions, those kinds of things. I didn't learn as much about the need to be in a good relationship with a healthy local church, although that was important to Tim. Uh, but the same week that I came to faith in Christ, uh, the guy who led me to faith was being discipled by Mark Dever. And so I, I met Mark uh, my first week of being a Christian. We began a relationship. And really one of Mark's uh, great themes, he's a senior pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church, has been healthy churches. And those were things that were forming in his heart at that early stage and now have become a central part of his ministry. So he was a major influence on my theological development. He got me into Gordon Conwell to take classes at night and start being spiritually, uh, theologically trained. So Mark had a big impact, and you know there are others, but those are some early ones for me. Hmm. Now, uh, as you get older, you know you've been at uh, uh, First Durham for how long now? Twenty-two. I mean, in my twenty-third year. All right, so, so. twenty-three years now that uh, that you've been uh, serving over there, and and I'm sure that you've recognized as as time has gone by that that uh, you've got more folks kind of behind you you know in terms of age and so on than you do ahead of you so you've got more folks younger yeah more more the younger folks are you know that number is growing and the old the older folks uh number is kind of kind of dwindling as you're kind of entering into that into that group you've got some time though uh you know you still have a couple of years before you know god wills (laughs) uh but in in regards to formation Uh, we have a tendency to say, you know, it's the older saints, it's the ones who've been walking with the Lord for a long time, you know, that, that really have, you know, the formative impact on our, on our lives. Uh, as you are getting older, you know, and, and you've been in ministry, you know, uh, for, uh, for the years that you've been, is it harder 
to find uh, that group as as the younger folks, you know, are are kind of increasing, uh, and and you're becoming the older head, you know, if you will, in the in the room. Well, I just see the kindness and goodness of God in all of this. You know that God God's ways are so good, and there are there are benefits and values uh, to being older and more mature in your Christian life, and benefits to being young and energetic and passionate and just beginning that journey. And, and healthy local churches have a good spread and a good connection, as John writes in his epistle. I write to you older, older men. I write to you young men, etc. So there's, a, a, there's just, I think iron sharpens iron with that. The older men may be struggling sometimes with passion and vision and even some hope. You know, is, can anything really change here? You've been at it a long time. And the younger guys can really inspire them and give them energy. But then the younger ones, with all that energy and passion, where is it headed? What should we do with it? Hmm. And what direction can we go? And some of the older guys that have fought some battles and learned some lessons from even their own mistakes and their own sins, but also successes in seeing God's grace, there's a beautiful blending of that. But for me now, yeah, I, I think I continue to see brothers that inspire me. I'm part of the Gospel Coalition. I've gotten to know John Piper. I've gotten to know Tim Keller, Don Carson, a lot of these guys uh, more, more personally. Mm -hmm. And seeing their faith and hearing their stories, what they did in their local churches. And then they have an entourage of younger guys that are some of the great future leaders and even present leaders. Mm -hmm. And getting to know them and drinking at the well of their passion and their vision, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's really encouraging to hear that uh, formation kind of goes both directions, yeah. you know, uh, uh, that, that there's so much that we can learn from uh, younger, uh, maybe even newer believers and so on, as much as we can learn from older as well. So, so forgive me, I'm going to add a question here. Okay. As someone who studies church history, mm -hmm. who are some of the figures in church history who have contributed to your formation? What are some of the books that you've read that have yeah. been really helpful for you in ministry? That's a great question. Um, I just, I think it's marvelous that we can have fellowship uh, with brothers and sisters in Christ who went before by knowing their mm -hmm. stories. Mm -hmm. And we were just talking before we went on air about a book I, I had just finished on heaven in which uh, we're going we're gonna to have an ever-expanding knowledge of the glory of God in part by looking back at what he did, that God's not going to sweep all that into the dustbin of forgetfulness. But he's going to lift it up and say, have you considered my servant so-and-so? And we're going to get to know some people. We didn't even know their names. Mm -hmm. Think about the widow that put in the two copper coins. Jesus said she put in more than anyone. So you think about some unsung heroes that didn't even make it on the pages of the history books. We're going to learn their stories. But for me now, um, you know, we've got some of those great heroes uh, of the faith that, you know, were great men. So my PhDs in the Reformation, so obviously Martin Luther, his his willingness to stand on truth and on the gospel at the literally at the risk of his life. I mean, he could have been burned just like John Huss was for the same doctrines a century before, and I think he expected it. Uh, but his courage and his boldness, not a perfect man at all. And, that, and that's instructive, too, mm -hmm. that God isn't choosing out perfect people. Yeah. Um, but to, to learn, and then John Calvin, the meticulousness mm -hmm. and the carefulness with which he approached doctrine, uh, not the same personality type at all of Martin Luther. Much more cautious, careful, meticulous, but his corpus of writings are just remarkable. His, I learned from him, um, it's just basically my approach to the Bible and in, in my pulpit strategy, uh, what I call the forest and the trees, the, the, the big picture detail, big picture detail. Calvin did that better than anyone. Big picture was the systematic theology he wrote in the Institutes, the big overarching grand vision of theology, a system of truth. 
and then line after line after line after line of text interpreted mm -hmm. as commentary after commentary and sermon after sermon is preached. It's a beautiful picture. Mm -hmm. So I try to do that when I preach. What's the big picture in the book of Ephesians? What's the big message? Now, what are these details adding to it? Uh, let me ask another question about your, your own personal formation. Uh, so do you look more uh, to, uh, uh, to brothers uh, outside of the church uh, for your personal formation, or do you look more inside, say, to your elders or to you know, other mature believers and so on? Uh, how, 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 what's the proportion, uh, I guess you could say, for your own self? Yeah, but, I, you know, brother, I, I just see the goodness and kindness of God in, that both are available to us. Mm -hmm. There's that universal church and the local church, mm -hmm. and they both have a role to play in a healthy Christian life. Yeah. So the universal church is the idea that we're part of a vast movement, the scope and dimensions of which we can barely imagine. Mm. Um, brothers and sisters from every tribe language, almost every tribe language, people and nation on earth. Yeah. And, and then we meet them and there's a language barrier, cultural barrier, but there's the same faith, the same Christ, the same Bible we're reading, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. And so then those people uh, sharpen us and affect us and influence us and I've had the benefit of that. But then there's local church, people that are with you day after day. Yeah. As we say about local churches, know and be known. Yeah, you know we've got to know each other, and people know you. They know your weaknesses and your mm -hmm. strengths. They know what's going on in your life. They care about you, and so I actually think, though I am in a mentor role with the younger men, they definitely affect me and move me and influence me. And I would say generally more because they're with me all the time. Yeah. Uh, the others are more remote, but they still are inspirational. Mm -hmm. so. Now, now you. Uh, you know, obviously, as well as I do, that, that there are some pastors that would say, well, I can't confide with anybody in my church, right. uh, whether it's a trust thing or, or, or something. And so they would much rather go outside, you know, to someone that they can that they can trust, uh, you know, and, and so on, that it may not say it may not be a threat to the church, you know, or to their position as pastor or things like that. Do you have any, any words for them? Well, I understand that. Uh, I think it is good to find brother pastors that are in similar roles in other churches. And there's, a, I think, a freedom that happens. You don't have to worry about some of the details that are going on in your church or he in his church. And, and I've found good fellowship with other senior pastors, lead pastors that are, you know, have the same kind of struggles I do. So I find benefit there. But think of it this way. You know, the churches that Paul planted you know, it wasn't like there was a second Baptist church in, in <laughs> Corinth or, you know, it's whatever. Yeah. Uh, that was it. So it had to be enough right there. And they didn't get around much. Mm -hmm. I mean, they weren't like Paul itinerating. Mm -hmm. They were there. And so the resources were there in that church. Uh, so I think it's, it, I wouldn't want to say I can't find that kind of accountability and friendship and intimacy with people in my own church. I do, mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. So I want to switch gears just a little bit. Um, we are a seminary that trains men and women for ministry, a lot of which will go into pastoral ministry. Uh, so I, I, I was wondering what advice you would give to, to pastors who want to finish the race well, mm. whether it be a pastor in year one, uh, year five, year 23, you know, whatever it is, how can pastors keep their eyes focused on the present uh, because we know and we've seen so many that have fallen out of the race in, in, in recent years. And, and if I could add just one more little part to it, how can, we, how can pastors do that in a way that doesn't get them burnt out? 
Wow, what a great question that yeah. leads right into the message I'm going to give at chapel today. So thank <laughs> you for doing that. Um, but, you know, I'm coming out of the book of Hebrews and the fundamental theme of what I'm going to preach on is preaching for faith and that faith is, is dynamic and needs to be fed. It's like a living, it needs food. And the same is true of the pastor. And so the, you know, the exhortation in Hebrews that lines up exactly with what you just talked about is mm -hmm. running the race with endurance, this mm -hmm. marathon race. It's not enough to start. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about a 10K Olympic race with however many laps there, I should know how many laps, but let's say 25 laps. And you run 23 of them. And then you start running around with your arms in the air. And it's like people look at you like you're crazy. <laughs> your coach is yelling, you got two more laps to run. Yeah. You're not finished. And you get the sense that the cloud of witnesses is saying that. You have to finish. So, yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. I've known some of them. Mm. It's tragic. Mm. You looked him in the face. Mm. You saw, you thought that Christian brotherhood, that fellowship, and now they're denying Christ. Wow. They're apostates painful and I could say names but I won't but I, I'm just mm -hmm. saying and that is the very threat the author to Hebrews is writing about is apostasy mm -hmm. drifting away from Christ turning away falling away from Christ mm -hmm. and so you're like well that's not going to happen I'm a Calvinist I believe once saved always saved and I'll say well I am reformed in my theology but I believe that we're saved because Christ continues to pour into us the resources we need to keep believing in him yeah. you're not on your own yeah. and the pastors aren't either and we're actually uniquely, in some ways, assaulted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's right. We are targets. I just think it's one of the greatest evidences of grace in my life that I'm still a Christian mm -hmm. from 1982 until now. Mm -hmm. All of the temptations and accusations mm -hmm. that Satan has concocted mm -hmm. to drive me away from Christ have so far failed. Mm -hmm. And I'm vulnerable while I live. But I know that he is at the right hand of God, is interceding for me that my faith will not fail. And it won't but I've got to run this race. I've got to lay aside every sin that entangles. So as I look at these stories, and, they are, and they're heartbreaking, you're, you're like, oh God, it puts fear in you. There's a certain fear, and I think there's a healthy fear of our own sinfulness that's reasonable in the Christian life. So I'd say pastors have to, to finish the race. They have to have that healthy fear and go back again and again to Jesus and say, Lord, protect me from my flesh, protect me from the world's temptations, from Satan's accusations and mm -hmm. luring. Uh, there's more I could say about this. It's, it's heartbreaking. I'm actually, I could get emotional because of some of these stories. Yeah. Very sad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, along those lines, Pastor, you've got, um, there, there's, there's several other uh, shepherds. Uh, you know, they've been in church for you know, say a couple of years, say three years, four years or so on, and there's nothing. I mean, the ground is 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 barren. Uh, there are no little buds growing up. And, uh, you know, they're preaching week in and week out, and the word just seems to be falling flat, you know, on, on, on deaf ears. Um, you know, and it's, it's an upward, you know, climb. I mean, um, uh, you know, kind of like Sisyphus. You know, you're you're pushing the you know pushing the rock up and everything, and you're like, okay, here we may see some breakthrough. We may see the you know God's about to do something, and and you know one offhanded email or you know or whatever, and and it's like the the ball the rock has rolled all the way back down to the bottom of the hill. And there are plenty of pastors who are just like, I'm not seeing any fruit. I'm not seeing you know any growth. Uh, it doesn't seem like like this formation thing is working <laughs> and, and they, they're ready to quit. Um, I know you've been there, you know, I know that you've, you've, you've been there, uh, there at the church and, uh, 
and and I just want you to really to speak to them. If if, if you've got a new uh, a pastor who's listening to this, or or someone who's re- revitalizing the church, uh, that where they're shepherding, uh, really two things. Um, one, you know, how long does it take, you know, for for these things to start to take root? And and number two, is there a good time to to say, you know what, maybe God doesn't want me here. You know, uh, uh, there are a lot of pastors, of course, that are that wrestle with that tension. Uh, you know, do I stick it out? You know, and just say, hey, you know, one more year, one more year, or yeah. do I say, you know what, uh, this is a Jeremiah mission. <laughs> you know, the churches, the, the doors are closing, and I'm here to, you know, to to accelerate the process. You know what? Wow. <laughs> what what do we do? <laughs> what do we do in the uh, in this situation? Well, since I wrote the book Revitalize, I've had. Um, uh, uh, a ministry to men in those situations. They track me down. They find out where I'm mm. at. They email me and call me and we talk. Some of them have cried on the phone with me. They're going mm. through hard times. Um, there are different kinds of revitalization situations. There's kind of categorically, I would say, two major types. One is you could picture a battlefield like D-Day and stuff flying everywhere and it's ugly and, and angry and rageful and all that. Then the other, I get more of a picture of a pup tent with one of those heaters that shouldn't be used in a tent, you know, mm-hmm. sucking all the air out of it, and people are just going to sleep. And they're sleeping the sleep of death. Mm. And they're nice, and they're generally elderly, and don't really have a vision for anything other than just keeping the doors open. They'll bring a young pastor and his young family in, and maybe he'll attract young people. And there, but just nothing is happening. Mm. And there could be some hybrids of those two. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. One of them is a, is a warfare picture and the other one's a sleep of death picture. Mm-hmm. Both of those are parts of revitalization. So then how long does it take? Well, it's just different every situation. Is, is it ever appropriate for a godly man to leave? Yes, of course it is because, you know, if you look at Revelation 2 and 3, there are lampstands that are removed. Yeah. And sometimes there can be a faithful man preaching the word like Jeremiah when the lights are getting turned out Mm. and that's a painful ministry and you know Jeremiah in my opinion had the hardest ministry in the Old Testament sure I mean Jeremiah I'm going to send you to people who will not listen to you who will hate you who will want to kill you and your job is to tell them it's over Mm. the Babylonians are coming in to destroy you that's not a message anyone wants to have to preach Mm -hmm. so what I would say is I would say you need anyway in ministry all the time to have hope Mm -hmm. because the fruit is not always evident to anybody, even in healthy churches. It's, it's hidden from us. We don't always know. So you look at Mark chapter 4 when a man scattered seed in the ground and then went to bed. Mm-hmm. And night and day, whether he slept or get up, the, the seed sprouted and planted and, and bore fruit, though he did not know how. That's a great parable. Yeah. It humbles pastors. It's like, mm-hmm. you don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. So be patient, preach the word, do your ministry, but you do need to evaluate. You know, is this going to be my lifetime station here? Am I, is this going to be my life work? Or am I here for a season and then God might call me somewhere else? I don't think it's wrong for him to ask that question and to keep evaluating. Mm-hmm. I think it's that church at Sardis in Revelation 3 that is sleeping mm-hmm. the sleep of death. Mm-hmm. And that's the revitalization church. Yeah. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Mm-hmm. And there may be pastors exactly at a church like that. Mm. So when I talk to them, I don't give them false hope. I don't say, read my book and put in the 10 principles and you'll get, you know, it's not like a vending machine. <laughs> right. God may be shutting it down at mm-hmm. that church, but be hopeful. Mm-hmm. He, he did bring you there. 
So keep preaching the word and hope and start looking for some indications. And the indications would be some people that come back and start saying, I love what you're saying. I hadn't heard this kind of thing. They're talking about God's word. Meet with those people, especially men. Meet with the future. They could be future leaders in the church. Meet with them. Yeah. So that's what I, I tell them. Well, brother, that's very helpful. Um, that's going to do it today. But before we close it out, I did want to have a chance to plug in a resource of yours hmm. that's created specifically for pastors and church leaders called Two Journeys. Do you mind taking a minute or two just yeah. to tell us a little bit about this this website? Sure. Two Journeys is a is a, a, a metaphor that I got from my, my book on sanctification called An Infinite Journey. And in that, I advocate that there are two um, infinite journeys uh, that every healthy Christian needs to be on the internal journey of personal holiness and the external journey of gospel advance through evangelism and missions. And those two are symbiotic. They connect with each other. It's the Great Commission. Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey everything. And when you look at what that is, that's everything. So that's good marriage, good parenting, good money habits, everything. And so that's, those are the two journeys. And so www.twojourneys.org is a repository of my 22-plus years of preaching. I preach sequential exposition, so books of the Bible. We've got some really godly people that have turned them into manuscripts. You don't have to listen to the whole sermon if you want to zero in on a section of it. Uh, I've got some writings, uh, booklets, things on scripture memorization, different articles. And so obviously it's just there and uh, available and people are using it. So I would advocate to use it. Well, definitely consider checking out this resource at two, that's twojourneys.org. Thank you again, brother, for joining us today. Uh, we want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. It is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors, and I hope we've done that today with this conversation. And as always, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.